Hello, how you doing? I'm Craig Parkinson. You are listening to the Two Shot Podcast. Sit yourself down, pop the kettle on. We're going to have a nice old chat. Who's it with this week? I'm going to tell you right now. How the devil are you? Are you well? Good. It's Thursday. It's episode 95 of the podcast. And you're here. Thank you so much for downloading and subscribing and joining us because this week we have a fantastic conversation with the brilliant actor Jill Halfpenny. Now I've got a few bits of admin, right? So just, just bear with. Don't fast forward just yet because these things are important. Well, two of them are really important. One's just slightly annoying. Annoying things first, this episode, it was a blazing hot peak summer day when I met Jill in in London. And so what we thought is we'd walk up the road to Soho Square and sit out in the sunshine, get the mics out and record, which we did. Now, sonically, it's not the best. It can be quite noisy at times, but your ears will tune in after a while. Now, I understand why... Griff didn't want to stop the recording or why I didn't because we were very uh, mid-flow in the conversation. We didn't want to pick it up and relocate. Otherwise, we'd have the danger of, of replicating any sort of conversation, which is something that we don't want to do, obviously. So that is the slightly annoying thing. But as I say, your ears will tune in and, it, and it's a, a fantastic conversation. Um, About the conversation, we touch on various uh, subjects that, that people could find difficult. So we talk about loss, we talk about grief, we talk about a whole host of things that life throws at us. And these are the things that Jill hasn't spoken about before. And it gets, well, yeah, we both get quite upset at times. Um, and I, I don't want you to get too upset. So, I suppose I'm prefacing this by saying if you're not in the best place to be hearing a conversation that goes to these places, uh, then don't listen for now. Just just put it aside and go back to it when you feel more equipped to, to deal with the subjects that come up. Um, it is very raw at times, so I uh, just wanted to let you know I would never throw a conversation at you that dealt with stuff like this without telling you because that isn't right and it isn't fair. So if you're in any sort of place, just don't listen and it, and it's fine. You'll come back to it later. If you are going to listen, um, yeah, look, yeah, I'm at a loss for words already. And this has been one of the only times um, of all the 95 episodes where there is times where I, I was at a loss for words um, because of what Jill was talking about, it is very heavy and it is very deep. And it, look, it's very sad. There's no two ways of getting around it. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to bring that up. So by saying that, I think we should just go straight into it. But she's a wonderful, wonderful human being. And I'd met Jill very, very briefly for all of her few minutes um, at uh, a screening and I've always been a massive fan and I've had a lot of friends that have worked with her and they've always said incredible things and they weren't wrong. She's very, very lovely and I'm so thrilled that she came on and she was able to be so honest and feel that she could share what she does share with us. So without further ado, let's get down to it. This is episode 95 of the Two Shot Podcast with the wonderful Jill Halfpenny. I'll see you at the end. You couldn't read your lips anyway. I know you can't even see them, can you? (laughs) I've got more beard than face. I'm terrified about getting it shaved off. What, do you have to get it shaved off after this job? No, I don't have to. I'm not going to. Just turn down two jobs that require clean shaving. No, no, I'm not doing it. Because you're so attached to it. I'm quite attached to it. And it's a bit... What is it about it that you love, though? Do you like the feel of it? No, I like the camouflage. Yeah. I like kind of not looking... Exactly like myself, because I have low self-esteem issues. <laughs> oh. 
Um, I'd love some water. water. Yeah. yeah. No, thanks. No, I've read a report on the radio about sugary drinks, including fruit juice today. Yeah, cancer. fruit juice is bad, man. Cancer. cancer. More than a certain amount of sugary drinks, and it went including fruit juices. Cancer. Everything's, everything's cancer nowadays. Everything. Mm. <laughs> no, I'm just going to go We'll start moaning in a minute. It's fine. I was thinking you're, I think, and Griff will have to tell me if I'm right or not about this, the th- only the third person of actors that I've spoken to who started out when they were quite young. Oh, really? Yeah. I thought it would be more than that. No, I thought that as yeah. well. And then it was only when I... I mean, I knew that Kev Bishop yeah. started out when he was young because oh. the Muppets and him are like an institution <laughs> for everybody. <I laughs> we don't care Kev about Bishop. what else Kev's done in his life as long as he's done <laughs> Treasure Island. Oh, no, yeah, it was Treasure Island. And... Um, and I didn't know much about Jemima Rupert. Do you know Jemima Rupert? I do. Yeah, she's who's great. lovely. Yeah. And then I didn't realise that once we started digging around that mm-hmm. she'd started then. And then I, obviously my big memory of you is <laughs> a certain show that I'll say it and like loads oh, of people. So loads of people listening to this won't even remember it because no. some of the young ones won't remember it. I know. But it's an institution was Biker Grove, wasn't it? It was a bit. It was, uh, it was just kind of weird the way nothing had been made up there. Certainly not like kids stuff. For years, and then for some reason or other, you know, Andrea Wonfer decided that there needed to be a programme up in Newcastle. And there it was. I mean, honestly, it was like, you can imagine, like, as a kid, being on a show like that as well. And because there's not, it's not exactly known as a, like, industry town. So you're on this show and you think it's like, you're absolutely buzzing, but then you're walking through the streets and people are like... You that fucking bitch up there. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, whoa, it's not supposed to be like this. <laughs> but it was like a bloody youth club. Oh, honestly, it really, really was. I mean, it was, they were really happy years. But like I said, um, it actually like caused quite a lot of negative attention that I found actually, to be really honest with you, quite difficult to deal with. Did you? And how, how old were you then? I really? was 13 when I started and 17 when I left. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. So you did a, a lot of growing up as, as a I young woman. I literally got boobs on telly. Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, and it was, it, was, it was really difficult. It was like my body literally was changing. I was literally becoming a woman. Yeah. And um, in that just in itself is quite difficult, let alone being on the telly and having everybody watch and comment on you. So yeah. that was, it was hard, man. Yeah, but it was, I wouldn't change it for like a minute, but it was, the, the attention was difficult because it's, it's funny, I think about this a lot. I don't know if you think about it, but like if you choose to be an actor, mm. there has to be a part of you that wants to be seen. Whatever part of you that is, we have chosen a career where we are looked at. Yeah, and also putting yourself out there to be judged completely right so there's got, so there's got to be a part of us that's up for that and yet you know especially as a kid I just don't know whether you realize quite what that will feel like like I remember I was about maybe three years into it maybe two years and I was I was on the bus coming home from a school disco and they were always quite tricky kind of things for me to do because I wanted to do like normal kid things. But obviously I'd turn up at the school disco and there'd be a lot of pointing and whispering and stuff yeah. like that. Actually, it's not the school disco. It was just like a, a local disco. Hmm. So it was like people from lots of different schools. And I remember getting on the bus home afterwards and, you know, it just started like people started chanting on the bus and people started like throwing stuff at me and just like bits of paper and stuff like that. And I just remember getting off the bus and I was really humiliated. And I remember going home and just crying my eyes out and said to me, oh, I just, then I just I made us feel stupid and I just don't know what to do. And she's like, you don't have to be in it if you don't want to be in it. Well, I was going to say. It was a really good thing to say because actually my reaction was, no, I do want to be in it. Yeah. Don't, I'm not having that taken away from no. me. So actually it just made me realise really, really early on, look, there are there are things that you have to accept will happen if you choose this kind of job and do the positives outweigh the negatives. And for me, like they always did. But I think it's important to say that the negatives are there. 
Well, they always are there, and I don't think yeah. they ever go away. In some respects, they get even Certainly worse. Certainly for me. But thank God, <laughs> thank God that it doesn't happen in Sainsbury's that you get recognised and they start throwing bits of paper at you or a, a soggy old banana. At least they've grown oh, up. But kids, God. you know, kids are kids, whatever. They don't know how to deal with their emotions at of the best of times. Of course they don't, and, you know, they're a bit jealous. And what they, probably what kids really want to do is come up to you and say, oh, what's it like? That looks really cool. I'd love to do that. Yeah, tell me about it. it? it t- but instead they say, you fucking stupid idiot, you think you're fucking better than me, like? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't, honestly. <laughs> was that something that you wanted to do? Yeah. At so it wasn't something that you were pushed into? Or no, I was already doing it. I was, like, um, doing theatre stuff before that. So I started maybe around about uh, 10 or 11. I was doing some, like, um, shows in the theatre. And um, I just loved it. I, I, I really did. I, I just loved it. I was, I always felt like a sort of a bit of an underdog, you know, like I would go up, I would audition for a lot of stuff and like my mates would get it. Right. Um, or I'd be down to the last, you know, four or five and I'd just be like, I just didn't go your way. Or, you know, they'd say you're too tall or you're too this or you're too that. You know, it started really early, like you're just wrong, basically. And um, for some reason I kept coming back. Like a dog with a bone. Just I know, but you're still doing me, it Pick now. me, pick me. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think it was easier dealing with rejection then than it is when you're starting to become an adult? No, I don't. I think it was... It used to really... used to really, like... It got to me. It used to really hurt me. Um, but what it made me do is it, I, I learned from, like, a really young age. Like, my, my best friend, we both went up for a, a role in a show and she got it and I didn't and it came to the West End. I mean, it was, quite, it was really quite a big deal. Yeah. But actually, you know, I came down to see her. I stayed with her for a couple of weeks. I saw, you know, I really championed her. So mm. as much as I was envious that she was doing that, I was like, but she's my mate and she's doing well and I'm pleased for her. So from a really young age, I learned that, you know, it's just not always going to be your turn. But it's always vital to be supportive to your mates. Always vital. And, you know, you will need their support. Exactly. Well, that's the thing, yeah. isn't it? It goes both ways. Oh, completely. And when you're down in the dumps, you need <laughs> someone there to come and pick you up and you go really and tell you it's do. all right. Yeah. It's like when we were talking before and you were saying, oh, I went to go to the theatre the other night mm-hmm. and I saw my mate and that's what I was going to do. And she was brilliant. Yeah. And it's great to tell her that. Yeah, yeah. But what do you do when you go and see a mate and it's not very good? Nowadays, I tell them, you did an amazing job, well done, because I've come to really believe this, that there is no other reason to go and see someone in a show and tell them after they've just walked off the stage, after they've just given how many months of their life to something, that you didn't like it or you thought it was a, a crappy production. It's like, who cares? Mm. Right, they're your mate. And what you say is, if the, least the, if the least thing you can say is well done, just say well done mm. then. But... You know, especially when you first leave drama school, there's this kind of tendency that everyone's like a real critic and everybody knows their stuff. <laughs> and when you're like 21 and you've been in a show and people come and say, actually, I didn't like this bit. And it's like, fuck off. You don't know anything. Yeah, you're just starting off. to learn now. Yeah. And I'm just so like aware that as actors, like you, know, you brought it up before, we're just judged on every level. So and I'm not, I don't want to judge my mates. And the thing is, I'm not, it's not about being false because actually older I've got the more I, I actually believe just well done for getting up there and doing it actually yeah. because actually it's quite terrifying yeah it really is and the is. older you get the more terrifying it gets it does get so yeah, terrifying it really does I ain't done it I ain't been on stage for quite a while and then I did like a few years ago yeah and I was yeah it was I didn't, terrifying I'd forgotten that feeling yeah it was really really scary but I, I got through it Regardless of it being, you know, being it's very just, good, but I, yeah. I got through it. That's the thing. Oh, thanks, Griff. Thanks, you just got Griff. us some waters. Um, yeah, no, I've been on like stage. Uh, when was I last on stage? When are we now? Last year. Um, and I just remember the opening night, thinking, I think I'd like to run away. Yeah. I think I'd like to just run away and never come back. But I think everybody has that feeling, you know, yeah. at some point, yeah. if they're really honest with themselves. Yeah. Yeah, it's proper fight or flight, isn't it? Yeah. And I... more often these days, I want a flight. <laughs> I want to do a Stephen Fry and just leg yes. it before the opening night. <laughs> I wouldn't quite do it like Stephen Fry. I'd probably leave a note telling someone where I'd actually go. <laughs> I'd be too frightened. Because you still care about oh, what people think. Oh, look what I've done. I've spilled water, water, water on herself. She just spilled water on but it's all right. But it's fine. It's a lovely, hot, sunny day, and we're in uh, the middle of Soho Square in London, so it'll dry off. It'll be fine. <laughs> Jill, tell me about growing up. Was it yeah. you 
Have you got how many sisters have you got? I've got two sisters. Um, grew up in on a council estate in Gateshead, which is um, beside Newcastle. Just far, over the river. How, how far away from Newcastle is that? Just literally just over the river. Right. You know, mile oh, or right, so. Yeah, yeah. yeah, very close. Um, and yeah, had a very kind of, well, I was going to say I had a very normal childhood, but I didn't actually. My dad died when I was four. So, oh. <clears throat> you know, it was, um, we're in the sort of late 70s. Yeah. We're in the northeast. My mum is left with a, a four, a seven, and a 10 year old. And, um, and I think the sort of the, the 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 idea was let's just let's just get on with things. And you was know, your mum quite like that person, right? Let's get on with things when some when trauma hits. Or I I I, I don't know what she was like before. Obviously, I mm. arrived, and I only had four years with her before this happened. So whether that incident made her become like that, or whether she was already like that, before. I honestly don't know. Yeah. But, um, and I suppose it's quite hazy for you around that time anyway. I mean, I can't remember being told he was dead. I can't remember being told he wasn't coming home. All I know is that, you know, when you're that age, you, you, the world revolves around you because yeah. that's what little kids are, you know, incredibly narcissistic. But I must have just thought uh, I did something wrong. Mm. I must have just thought, right, I've, I've done something wrong and that's why it's not, it must be my fault. I think essentially that's what a kid's brain goes to. Um, and I'm not sure whether, and this is no one's fault at all, I, you know, my family are gorgeous and loving, but I don't know whether anybody ever said to me, it's not your fault. This, you know, it, they might have said to me, it was an accident. Basically, he was playing football. He went to play Sunday league football yeah. and he just had a heart attack on the pitch and died instantly. Oh, man. So it was literally a case of somebody leaves the house and... They, they just don't they come back. They just don't come back. And it's it's a brutal, brutal feeling. And... Um, and I'm, I, I get very annoyed when I hear people in general talk about um, kids being really resilient as if, as, if, as if that's an excuse to not engage with them about some difficult things that parents are going through. Yeah. People go through breakups or, or, or deaths and, oh, they're just resilient. It's like, well, they have to survive. <laughs> like, we're all survivors. Yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. we're doing. But talk to them. Talk to them. Answer their questions. And if they're not asking questions, that's a problem. Mm. See? I think we should talk about some things, you and know, but... Open the door for them the so they, they've got that yeah. need and they can ask those questions. Because I remember when I spoke to my little boy about something that was pretty heavy and he, I could see him really compute it all. Yeah. And then over the few weeks, there was a bit... Anger would come out and we'd yeah. go, right, well, let's talk yeah. about this. And then we, we'd discuss that. And then and then he was upset. So yeah. there was going through all those emotions. yeah. But that's really healthy. That's really for him healthy, to do that. and that's what I and that's what I didn't get. And bless my my mom because you know she didn't really know or didn't really know much about therapy in those days or how to sort. Of, she just wasn't experienced. She was plunged into a world she didn't know about. So I think I made like I've come to realise from my years of therapy that I think I made like an unconscious pact with my mum when I was about four, which was to say. You are sad, so I will be happy. Right. And I think I sort of spent a lot of my childhood being a bit like, yeah, you know, jumping around doing cartwheels and generally just kind of slightly, slightly putting a mask on it. A oh, bit. definitely. Yeah. And then I would go into my bedroom on my own and I would just honestly like <laughs> just fling myself around the room crying and stuff. But I would sort of do it in the guise in my head of like I was in a performance. Mm. If I was in some grand opera or something, I now realise that I was literally just grieving. Well, it is a form it's just of grief. It's my only it? way to exactly. do it, you know. And everybody's different. Everybody's different, and everybody does it differently. But so, I, and I think I think it just led to sort of a feelings of like very very low self worth, and I I sort of felt a lot like an outsider when I was a kid, and um, and maybe I was attracted to the industry because. I felt like I belonged there a little bit more. And you could escape. I could escape, certainly could escape. I, I was very happy to be someone else, very happy. And in my adult life, I've had to, like, have a really good think about that, about am I still happy to be someone else? Is that still okay with me? Like, am I all right to do that? And Do you ask those questions a lot? Yeah, a lot. At, what, at specific times or just...? I think I'm just, like, constantly exploring, like the whys of something and why I'm doing something and what I'm actually getting from it because I, I sort of realised that I'm attached to outcomes quite a lot. 
So even though I'll be doing a job and I will like love the process and I will love the people I'm working with and I'll say to all my mates, oh, I had such a good time, it was brilliant. Ultimately, what I really want is a positive outcome, which means people to say that they think it was really good yeah. and then to get another job from yeah. it. And it's like, you know, that's like, I think that's a bit of a road to unhappiness, you know. That's a that's a dangerous trying road to, seek, to travel. Trying to seek the positivity in an industry yeah. which is pretty mm-hmm. negative a lot of the time. And that ultimately has to come back to me. And mm. it's like, what is it that's in me that still wants somebody to tell me what I am? Why can I not tell myself what I am? Why can I not tell myself that I'm not enough? And obviously that's not like every day, but I will, I will, I do struggle with that. And that, again, like maybe there's a notion that people who are sort of like mildly successful as actors kind of walk around just feeling really good about themselves. It's just, but do they though? I, I mean, they, may, they do. You know, I don't, I just they may do on the, the surface. Outs- I wonder whether the world outside of the industry thinks we do though. I don't believe we do because we're all human beings. I don't believe anybody walks around just feeling really good about themselves all the time. But and if somebody says they do, I think they're lying. Well, I think they are. I think what they're presenting isn't what's going on internally. Yeah. Maybe they are really unhappy, but yeah. they wouldn't dare let any let mm. anybody see that they are. Because I think that with, for me, like my unhappiness or my melancholy, for me, it feels... That, that part of me feels unlovable. That's why I've struggled to show it. Because I think, well, if you've, got, if you've got low self-worth, then you have to present the best of yourself all the time because, come on, you've got to work twice as hard to be loved. I mean, I'm talking in fairly like, deep sort of terms no, no, here, no, but that's the point, isn't yeah. it? The point is, so if I really show you who I am and what I am, jeez, you'll run a mile. So there's been like a lot of stuff for me to work out over the years about who I am and what I'm presenting and um, and whether that's really authentic or not. I think it's authentic, but I think it's quite brave to be that honest yeah. with yourself. Yeah. Because what else can you be? I just, to me, like, I've always, re- like, when I grew up, I always really struggle with small talk. Like, I still, I still struggle with small talk. I find it really, really difficult. I, I, honestly, I feel like if I go to a party and... Oh, don't. If, I get the fear already. You've already <laughs> said that. Like I've I'm, said the P word. Yeah, now, I think I'm busy. I haven't even told you the date yet. Now, I'm probably very, very busy on oh, those yeah. days. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm busy. Very busy. But, like, I will come home. I don't know about you, but I will be exhausted like, properly wiped out. And I, I've, like, thought about this a lot and I've spoken to my therapist and stuff, but it's, like, it's because I'm acting. I'm acting the whole time and it's uncomfortable. And for me, like, sitting here with you now and just talking like this, this is, like, quite relaxing for me yeah. because it's true and it's real, but I cannot do small talk. I find it unbearable. Like, there's obviously, yeah, you go into an audition. <laughs> How did you get here? You know, where does your name come from? <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking, please, just get on with the audition, man. Just get to the, the meat of it, please, and then they can get out. But yeah. that thing about, which is kind of ironic considering, like, I do this now, mm. but meeting new people, I find really hard. Yeah. Because the thing is, I'm meeting new people on this all the time, mm. but, like, it's completely other end of the spectrum to small talk yeah. I mean we're just getting down to yeah. it which which I find fascinating because yeah. then I get to yeah. know who that person is but it's a surface level chat he's really difficult and I'm re- I would be really nervous that oh I'm gonna I'm not gonna be me mm. and I'm gonna say something mm. that'll upset you or offend you or I'll say something <laughs> stupid yeah. and then I'll go home and yeah. just sort of get the cat of nine tails out and <laughs> Give myself 20 lashes when I get oh, home totally. from being an idiot. I end up feeling like a right Billy Bollocks when yeah. I've been to I'm like, well, who was I? Yeah. What was that? To, why was I saying those things? I don't even think those things. That's that, not me. That's not me. <laughs> <laughs> but then as I've got older, like I've really found like my people, like who I just, I can say hello. And then the next sentence I say is, God, I'm struggling today. Yeah. Oh God, I feel really lonely today. Yeah. And I found my people who I can do that with. And, and that's who I'm comfy with. And, yeah. I know I have to build myself up a bit if I'm not going to be with people like that because, I, yeah, it's hard. Well, that's the main thing. If you find those people, yeah. you stick with them because they're the ones that they're the ones that are going to really go, how are you? And they're going to wait because they're really asking you how they are. They're not going, oh, yeah, how are you? So anyway, what I was doing the other day, and just surf, just go skate over yeah. it and you just go, yeah. no, I've got time for that because you're not yeah. really asking me. You don't really care. You don't care. 
That's what, when people when people say to me, "How are you?" Like I will always have that moment where I'll go, "What kind of person is this?" And then I'll decide what my answer is. Yeah, you know and really mean? think about it. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if I can invest yeah, in this. Say, yeah, I'm good. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> everything's fine, but everything's kind of terrible. But I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> Did you ever talk to your, your older sisters, you know, mm. when you were younger, about that, that certain time after your dad passed? Do you know, weirdly, we talk about it a lot now. We really talk about it a lot, but no, I don't think we did. I think maybe this is very, very typical, I don't know, but it felt very much like it was put in a box and it was put away. Yeah. And my mom married, uh, within two years, she was remarried to my dad's brother. So my uncle then became my dad. So right. We How had, was that? Again, like, I was... Considering you were so young. Yeah, I, it just was... It seemed like, at the time, my little child brain was like, oh, that's nice. Like, my, my uncle, who loved my dad, now loves my mom. Obviously, now, when I think about it and look back on it, I think, that's, that's interesting. Like, I wonder what was going on in both of their brains. So... You know, my, my stepdad is, is, is gorgeous and I, and I love him very, very much, but it isn't the same as having a dad. Of course not. And he, no. he looked after us and he protected us. But um, I, I wonder a lot about how much they navigated their relationship with slightly shrouded in shame, perhaps. I'm not sure, but mm. I can't imagine that you would you would be married, you know... And and not feel a sense of guilt. No. Even though your intentions are very very good. Yeah. And and I think that had a real effect on on my child. I think there was there was a lot of sort of heavy unsaid. But that unsaid, shame in my family. That unsaid stuff. I don't. You know certainly a very northern thing like mm. from where I'm from mm. we'll put those emotions in a box and we'll deal with them another day mm-hmm. because there is there is shame to admit yeah. that things aren't yeah. going well so maybe it's still like that in, in the Can, northeast as well so, you know there's this guy I don't know if you've heard of him called um, Gabor Mate he's like a he's a he's a doctor and an author and he, he he writes a lot about addiction and about trauma yeah and you know he says that you know no matter what you do with your children, it doesn't matter. The intention is what matters, the intention behind it. So I think that when I look back on my childhood, like we did a lot of lovely things and my my family were very loving and caring, but behind that was an enormous amount of grief and mm. sorrow and that wasn't unsaid, dealt with. That wasn't dealt. Yeah. So that's a huge amount of trauma to be brought up around. Yeah. And it has it has um it has manifested in different ways through my different sisters, you know, and we've all struggled with it. Obviously, I can't speak for them. That would be unfair, but um, it has come... Well, I then experienced something which actually I've never, ever spoken about, so bear with me. It's all right. um, You don't have to say anything and tell anything that you don't want to no, talk about, Jill. It's not, it's not, do you know what? It's funny, I, I, w- I will, I'll tell you why I'm going to talk about it, because something happened a couple of years ago that I've never, ever spoken about, and it's weird, it feels like a part of my life is missing. It feels like, anyway, let me just say it. So, two and a, uh, in January 2017, my partner... Um, very in very similar circumstances to my dad, he went to a, a Peloton class to the gym and he had a heart attack and he died. So, excuse me. It's okay. My grief at losing Matt, my partner, was so brutal and so shocking. But then what happened was it actually brought out all of my grief from, from my dad as yeah. well. So it was like dealing with this like double like loss, a loss that I've actually never, ever, ever dealt with. And then I just found myself thinking, oh, my God, like, this is unbearable. What am I going to do? Like, I cannot, I cannot cope with these feelings. Like, 
I just wanted the cessation of feeling to stop. I just, it was too much. It was overbearing. And I'm a fairly sort of, um, what's that word? When industrious, I'm quite industrious. So I thought to myself, I've got, I've got like a child. I've got to get through this. But what I'm not going to do, I made like a promise to myself, I'm not going to put this in a box. No. I'm not going to put it away. No. I'm going to feel every single feeling that comes my way, whether it's brutal and like a volcano or whatever it is, mm. I'm going to feel it. And go through it all. And I'm going to go through it all. Yeah. Jesus, I, I need to, you know yeah. what I mean? So it's really weird, like what life gives you and what the universe has planned for you. But I can't, I can't possibly say that losing my dad or losing Matt was good and, or positive in any way. No. But what I can say was, is that by facing it, it has somehow freed me up. It's somehow unlocked something in me whereby... And it's not like I'm like a different person now. I'm, I'm becoming a, a different person. I'm, I'm on my way. No, but it was probably always there. Yeah. But- by going through it mm. and letting yourself feel everything, mm. you've unlocked that other part of you, probably. I think I've realized... The true part, the, yeah. the real part. I started to feel like I need to take like my rightful place. I started to feel like I, I, can't, I can't keep sort of feeling less than or apologizing for who I am or, or making myself smaller or diminishing myself in any way. I think I, I spent so much time sort of people pleasing even with directors you know like a director would ask me to do something and I'm fairly quick like I'll pick things up really quick and and I'll go and I'll do it and sometimes especially if I'm doing a a, a role where like I'm not the lead or anything they'll be like yeah that was great should we just move on and instead of saying no I mean I did it the way you wanted me to do it but actually let me try something else because I'm not 100% happy with that yeah I'll be okay I've, I've, I've pleased them yeah and now I'm like, chill, man. Like, you're allowed to just take your moment, take your time. I watch actors, you know, take as much time as they want to do whatever they want to do. Yeah. Why, do you, why do you struggle to take up the space that is yours, you know? That comes from confidence sometimes. It comes with confidence. And also what you were saying before, self-belief. Yeah, and weirdly, grieving it has given me more confidence because to survive that level of, like, brutality, you think, there ain't nothing you can throw at me yeah. that isn't going to be okay now, I yeah. swear to God. I'm bulletproof. I'm, I'm, but that's what it feels like. Yeah. I've got one fear now, which I don't, I'm not going to say, but it's obvious anyway, but that's it. Like, anything else, I'm good. I'm good, honestly. I know what it's like to, like, literally feel like every minute of every day is torture because that's what it feels like when you're going through grief like that. You're like... How can it only be five past nine? How can... I looked at the clock what seemed like six hours ago and it was nine o'clock. Like, that's how it feels. Time just goes so slow. And then suddenly, two and a, two and a bit years later, you're like, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm actually doing all right. Like, there's this thing I've been reading about called, like, um, post-traumatic growth. Right. And about how anything... It doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to be bereavement, but when you go through something really challenging and really painful in your life, it does... If you if you allow yourself to go through it, to feel it, to, to lean into it. it, as they say, yeah. yeah, you will thrive from that. You have to, yeah, because you've you've seen a part of yourself that hadn't yet been seen, you know. And I cling on to that because sometimes in the dark days, it's that's like, all you've it's got. All I've got <laughs> yeah. Man. it's yeah. all I've got. Yeah. So, yeah, it's been it's been a a rough few years, but um, I feel like I'm. I'm but on you're my here. way. Yeah, you're I'm here. here. I'm talking to you. And I'm you're stronger. Here. Yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of a bit of a loss for words at the moment because <laughs> I don't really know where to go at the moment. <laughs> but um, you don't have to be sorry. I don't I'm know just... why I said that was so English, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 I see, we're apologising <laughs> again. <laughs> However, we always do that, though. I know. Somebody bumped into me the other day and immediately went, sorry. And he went, it's all right. And then afterwards I went, Oh, that wasn't my fault. Yeah. He was the one that bumps into me, but it's just 
that knee-jerk reaction. And also, we revert back into the, oh, sorry. Yeah. Very sorry. Yeah. I went through a phase, like, when I was a kid. And, again, this must have been, like, as a result of of trauma, like, not being... Mm. Actually, do you know Brené Brown? She has a brilliant brilliant, um, phrase, and she said, if trauma is not transformed, it will be transmitted. So whatever you don't deal with, you will transmit to your children, your friends, your your partner, whoever. So deal with your shit because you will give it to someone <laughs> You'll else. You'll pass it down and to somebody. And there's this brilliant thing as well where, like, you often, like, meet and connect with people who are on the same level of trauma as you. You don't know it, and it can manifest itself in many different ways, but you sort of feel their unconsciously you'll feel it and you will connect with them you'll think this feels really familiar yeah. this person I'm really drawn to them and it's usually because they're sort of suffering on the same level as you but it's an unspoken kind yeah. of pact yeah well again talk about finding your people sometimes you connect through that and do you ever get this do you ever get like you just massively triggered by someone you hardly even know them you meet them and you're like god they annoy me they wind me up so much and yeah. it's like i've realized that every single person that i've ever met in my life who's like that when i've looked into it or when i found out a little bit more about them they have experienced either something similar to me but they're dealing with it in a different way right and i'm i'm, I'm somehow uh they've got something that i want basically right you know what that's I mean? so interesting yeah. <laughs> and i'm like god what and i'm like jill it's got to be you. This person hasn't done anything to you. Have a think about it. Shit, I've met loads of those people. <laughs> As I say about me. <laughs> but you know, before that. you were saying um, about, you know, stuff from your dad's passing or mm. Matt's passing, you didn't really learn from anything. Yeah. I think you really did learn something from, from that moment with your dad passing about how everybody else dealt with it. Yeah. Because now... Unfortunately, when other bits of trauma would come into your life, yeah. you're not putting it away. Yeah. You're dealing with it head yeah. on. And there's something yeah. so honest and, and I, I say brave and I don't mean that in yeah. a patronising way at all. I think that's really, really brave. But Just let's you... stop here. Oh, hello. hello. How are you doing? You all right? We're all right. I'm, do you oh, want a coffee? Right. We've got water. Oh, all right, that's fine. It's just been... Uh, I didn't know. I it's saw, the masculine. I saw a, a, a man out of my peripheral then when I was looking into Jill's eyes and I went, oh no, we're outside. <laughs> who's this bothering us? I turn around. It's the beautiful Neil Maskell who's now gone to go and get himself a coffee. Oh, he's over there. So, but what I was going to ask you was, right, yeah. like with that point you've just made, so mm. do you think that like life is predestined? Do you like, so for mm. instance, in that in that example, you said, so I learned from my dad dying and the way people dealt with how to deal with Matt dying. Mm. Do you think I had to learn that lesson with dad because my life was going to give me something else? And I was like, do you think it's all mapped out? I don't think so, no. And I think we always have the power to change. Yeah. Um, what's that book I'm reading? I'm reading this book at the moment called The Courage to Be Disliked. You know about yeah. it? Yeah. You know about it? <laughs> no, but I'd quite like The Courage yeah. to Be Disliked. So it's, 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 um, it's the first time it's been translated from Japanese into English. Mm. And it's when you read it, you go, oh, yeah, it's very Japanese, this. Yeah. But it's, it's like philosophy and psychology. Yeah, amazing. But it says I that we all, everybody has the power to, to change what yeah. they want and who they are. Which path they choose. Yeah. yeah. I, I totally believe people can change. Do you? Yes, 100%. In fact, I know it. Like, I I absolutely... That's another thing that sort of slightly depresses me when people say, well, it's just who I am. Well, well, I feel really sad for you if Mm. you're saying that. Yeah. Because that's like going, well, I'm just going to make do. Yeah. I'm just going to make do. It's just what it is. Well, no, you don't have to make do. No. But also, it's... Sometimes it's sad because it's like people are resigning themselves to something that they're not happy with. Yeah. Sometimes I get angry because they're um, excusing their bad behavior. It's just who I am. But it's like, yeah. no, like, let's look at why we do and think the way we do. I'm, like, obsessed with, like, people's intentions and the human condition. Yeah. I'm absolutely obsessed. Like, in another life, I'm, like... Literally a psychotherapist. You should do what I do, Jill. You find out so much about people, which is weird yeah. to do it in, in this scenario. But you know yourself, the amount of people that just open up mm. when we're sat yeah. down talking. 
but I think it's really healthy. You know, yeah. you know and just going back to those people that go, oh, well, you know, it's just who I am. And you go, no, because I see so much more in you. There's so much more mm. potential. Mm. And you behaving like that or resigning yourself to who you are like that, that's, mm. you're so much better mm. than this. Mm. But I think it takes bravery or certainly honesty. It t- takes all of those things. Mm. It's 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 very courageous to look inside yourself and to say, "Hands up, that was me." I, you know, I I will always look at a situation. I mean, I've like messed up so many times in my life, and I've done things I'm not proud of. But there are get other. Behind, get behind me! I'm <laughs> king yeah, of that. The <laughs> but there's other things where I absolutely think it's the other person's fault. No, no, absolutely not. Nah, I didn't do anything wrong then. I just have to go. I have to go home and I have to sit down and have a really good think about it and be like, right, m- more often than not, there's two people in this situation and yeah. you were a part of it, Jill. So, um, like, I find it sometimes... I'm getting much better at it now, but when I was younger, especially on set, I would sometimes find it hard to express myself or give my opinion. Again, going back to, like, the low self-worth, it would be I'd either speak really fast or I couldn't find the words to say what I wanted to say. Yeah. And I just... Then I would get quite aggressive quite quickly. Yeah. And then I would cry. Yeah. <laughs> and it would just be in that order. I would go into the trailer and so it would be really, fr- like, sad that I'd just said my opinion. Whereas now I'm much more like, look, you've got an opinion and it deserves to be listened to. Yeah. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's how you say it as well. It's always I how mean, you say it, I think. I, you know, in the past, I, you know, we've done things that we're not particularly proud mm. of. And, and I was thinking about something the other day when I was talking to somebody. And I was going, and I've thought about it for many years, and I've gone, would I change what I did? No. Would I change how I went about doing it? 100% yes. Yeah. Yeah, but obviously I wasn't. I wasn't who I am mm. n- now, mm. so I wasn't as. Um, I probably didn't know exactly who I was then, and I certainly yeah. wasn't as mature as I am now. So I think I would have dealt with it differently. But even a week ago, I did something that I wasn't proud of. Mm. It's like confessional, this, isn't it? <laughs> Not even religious. <laughs> I was having a particularly awful day. Yeah. And I was at work and I thought, well, I've just got to knuckle down and just, I just want to get through this day and then everything will be fine and tomorrow's a new day and we'll deal with that as it mm. comes. But my head was kind of all... You know when your head's all over the shop? Oh, yeah. A washing sh- machine. A washing machine yeah. head. It's, yeah, it's had my stomach, it's had the stomach yeah. all that, in yeah. it? And I just went, I, I can't focus, but I was, just, I was really digging deep yeah. to focus and it was draining me. And... I was getting something wrong at work and I knew I was getting something wrong and I couldn't get it right. And the script editor kept coming up to me and going, yeah, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong. First day, first day, I didn't even know the fella. And after about four times, this is all my fault, remember? And I just went, can you, can you just stop telling me every time that I'm doing it wrong? Cause I just, I, so I was just projecting onto him my fuck-ups yeah. and I sat back down and I just went, what did you do that for? Mm. And I got straight back up and I went over to him and went, I, can, I am so sorry. That is, I apologise. I hope you accept my apology. That is not me. And hands up. What did he say? He said, that's really good of you to say that and it's no problem. Thanks so much for apologising. Fine. Sorted it out. Obviously, it took me about two days to get that over because I was so mortified with myself. But, but you know what? For me, like the power of an apology like what you've just described. Yeah, if you really mean it. If you look into someone's eyes and you mean it and you say, I am sorry for what I've just said or done, I really am truly sorry, then we're human beings. Like, we have to give each other that. Yeah. And that's something that I've I've, I've learned, like, in the past six or so years. It's like, just apologise. And it's a two-way thing, remember, because if you're the the big person to apologise, it also takes a big person to accept that apology. And I think if you are really sincerely apologising, then you shouldn't need the other person to accept it as well, because what your part of that exchange is, I am sorry. Mm. It's not not supposed to be rectified because the other person says, no worries, mate, and thank you for... If you've said your part, it's up to the other person how they want to take it. But if you've looked into someone's eyes and just said, I'm really sorry, then 
I think for the most part, that is, to me, that's a really healing thing to do. And I've gone back into my life, into past things. Yeah. And made contact with people and said, can I speak to you or can I talk to you? And I've just said, I just, I'm really sorry for how that was handled or what I said. Um, and I think, I think it can only be a good thing. It can only be a good thing. And I completely agree with you whether that is reciprocated. Because mm. I think, I'm trying to think of a, a situation, but I know there is something, I can't put my finger on it, where I have apologised. Yeah. And it, and it, wasn't accepted, yeah. but it was fine. Yeah. It was because it, there was a lot of past. Yeah, the rivers, some people are not ready. They're not ready, and that's fine, but I think I remember feeling, well, it's all right, because I've, I've done my yeah. part and I've apologised, and I'm kind of at peace with that now. Yeah, and it it's is, all you can do, it's isn't it? all you it? can do. You've li- literally done it. An apology is something about the past. It's yeah. not something you're about to do. I'm sorry, I'm going to be an absolute dick. <laughs> I don't know, maybe I should do that. That'd be quite good. Just before you Just start to warn the job. everybody, today, there's a strong possibility I might be a complete knob. <laughs> That'd be refreshing, wouldn't, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it, though? Okay, well, at least we're ready for it. Okay, action. <laughs> Yeah, I just, I do, I think, I think that is, um, you know the woman who wrote the vagina monologues, Eve Ensler? Yes. So she's got a new book out. Don't. Oh, okay. The apology. No, let's not, right, do you no. want to, no? Yeah, no, we can talk about it, but I, I, I'm <laughs> big reading at the moment. Mm. And for some reason, I've never done this before. I've always gone, right, I need to focus on this book and yes. this book only, and I'll get to the end of that, and then I can start a new one. At the moment, I'm sort of spinning three plates and I can never do it. I, I used to think like that, but I now have about three or four on the go. Isn't different that weird? books for different moods. Why not? Completely different books, yeah. 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 So is that one of them? Uh, no. Right, but, but, but I, nearly, it... I was in Waterstones in Manchester mm-hmm. the other day and I listened to a very, very heavy interview mm-hmm. with her. I don't know if you listened to her. Well, I watched her and being interviewed live oh, in Islington Town Hall. But just for anyone that's listening, I'm just... Just because it's an apology that she writes from her dad to her who sexually abused her. But again, like, she talks about the power of an apology, mm. even if it's not coming from the person that it needs to come from. The fact that she, she said she sat down and she wrote that book. And at the end, she literally felt like something had left her. Wow. After, she felt free. And after she, all that time. After all that time. And she said something really beautiful, and I'm not going to quote it right, but it was something like, if you are prepared to walk through the portal of grief, you will be amazed at what is on the other side. And it's like, if you're just prepared to go, this uncomfortable, disgusting, horrible feelings that I'm having, if I'm prepared to sit with them or walk through it, like, there's a, there's a world on the other side that yeah. you could never know existed and it's just I mean we're all just frightened aren't we nobody wants to be in discomfort but she has like she said it has freed her up so much and I just thought that was fascinating that an apology written by her but all the things that she needed him to say he said yes it was through her pen but she felt like she said she felt like it was almost him writing it yeah it's almost like she was channeling him wow yeah Pretty amazing. Pretty full on. Stuff, isn't yeah, it? yeah. It's on my list, definitely. I've just, yeah. just got to be in the right mind. To <laughs> I, deal know. With it. I don't know if that'll be one of the books that I can sort of spin, spin plates with. I might have to focus yeah, all I my energy on it. It's pretty short, that. so you'll probably yeah, do it in a couple of seconds. Yeah, it's not that big. Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> Where do we go from here? Where do we go from here, <laughs> Joe? Do, like do you feel freer? Yeah, I do. I feel freer. I feel like. I feel like, say, like, a few years ago, if I was doing this interview with you, like, there might be parts of me, like, worried that you didn't like me or or what am I going to have to say or is that interesting enough? And now, in the really nicest possible way, it's like, listen, I I just, I just am who I am and, Mm. like... Accept. Accept. If you do, what's, I, the, I, what's the book you're reading? <laughs> <laughs> if you don't like me, like, yeah. I will have to accept that. Like, of course, it would be nice if you did. But if you didn't, it's like, walk away and accept that all you did was sit down on a bench and talk to someone. Like, yeah. what is the big deal about that? I'm, I'm all right with me. But if you're yeah. not, it's fine. Exactly. I'm, but I'm not going to let it ruin my day. Yeah. And as an actor, like, it's so challenging. Like, when, because I believe that everyone pretty much feels like that about themselves at some point at least yeah but like as an actor you have to have pretty big balls sometimes when you're walking on a set 
with lots of people who you might be slightly intimidated by mm. or you might be on a time frame for something. So you, you really have to like, those, those voices in my head... I've, I'm really good at shutting them up when they need to be sh- they mean to be quieted. That's a good skill. But then I'll go home and they'll come really loud, <laughs> like, "Whoa, you shut Let us me up. out! Let me out! Yeah, Why did you do that?" Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I wonder whether like that was part of my attraction to the job in the first place, which was I need to do something that cannot allow those voices to be present. I need to do something that takes all my focus, that takes every bit of concentration in my brain so that those voices are nowhere to be seen or heard. And, you know, when you're on stage, certainly when you're doing something, you know, for the first few times, you're in that zone, aren't you? Yeah. Regardless yeah. of whether you think what you're doing is great or not, you're in the zone where you're just like, I can only concentrate on this thing that I'm doing right now. If my brain goes to anything else, remote, I am done for. Down, down that massive slide. <laughs> and they're all laughing at you. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. But it's, I think it's just a constant work in progress, though, isn't it? But I think mm. if you if you do commit and work at it and go with it, yeah, there's got to be results. I think so, you know? Well, I don't know what the time frame is still. I don't know whether there is one. I, I really do. I think that if you, if you go on, like, a, a journey of, of, of personal discovery or whatever, however you want to phrase it, you know, it, it never stops. There's no end to that. You're doing it until the day you die. If you're committed to it. Yeah, you, 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 yeah it has to be. Yeah. There's never going to be a point where you go, I know exactly who I am now, because tomorrow or the next moment it'll present you with a new bit of information or a new incident or circumstance in your life, and you'll go, whoa, whoa I didn't know I was going to react like that. We can never, ever really know. It's like part of the, the sort of joy for me is the is the searching and seeing how I react to each thing that comes along. And sometimes I'm, like, really chuffed with myself and I'm really proud. And then other times I'm like, oh, oh God, I'm so disappointed with how I dealt with that. <laughs> yeah, but at least you're honest with it. And most of the time these days, like, mine will come out, like you know, like leaky anger. Like, you know, on, like, a bus. Example. Or on a tube. Uh, like, um, you know, you're, you're trying to get through, like, the tube... Um, barriers and it's not working and it's because I'm trying to use my phone and then someone behind me is like why don't you just use your credit card and I'm like why don't you just use your credit card you know what I mean and it's like whoa like that was not for that person yeah that was not meant for them well it's exactly the same that what happened to me at work the other day that wasn't meant for him <laughs> that was someone else was something was going on in my head and the poor bastards yeah. I get it and you feel terrible and all those moments, and I think, especially a city like London, there is so much leaky anger. Yeah, Everyone's spouting it. Everyone. Wouldn't it be great if we all just sort of like sat down with each other sometimes and just went, you know, oh, this is a this is a this is a good example, right? I used to go out with this guy and he used to ride a motorbike, and I don't. Do you ride a motorbike? No, I do. <laughs> oh, do you, um, do you well, really? I, I actually have you my do. motorbike license, but I don't right. have a motorbike at the minute. But anyway. When you're riding a motorbike, there are lots of other people on motorbikes that sort of are a bit like testosteroned up and like try and cut you up and all that. So he's on his motorbike and this guy like just cuts him up really dangerously actually. And he's, he gets a fright, but they stop right at the traffic lights. And this guy's like this. So this, this bloke I was going out with, he says he just flips his helmet and he turns to this guy and the guy looks at him like ready for a fight. Oh, God. And, and, and my ex-boyfriend says to him, are you okay, mate? And the guy goes, what? And he says, are, are, are you okay? Oh. And the guy goes, no, I'm not. And I, thank you for, for, for asking. I'm really, really not. And it was such a good example of like, of course he's not okay. Yeah. He's just nearly killed someone. And he, he doesn't know you. He doesn't want to try and kill a complete stranger. Well, you completely but disarmed him by completely just going, completely disarmed you him. Okay? Yeah. So that's the thing that we were asked, like talking about just before. When, when you say to someone, how are you doing? But you really are ready for the answer. Because it might be a one-hour answer. Yeah. Like, be ready for it. If yeah. you ask it, like, sort of... Um, and don't ask it if you don't mean don't it. Don't ask it if you don't mean it. Yeah. But there was something that just disarmed him and just thought, I wonder how many people walked through life never really being asked, like, or never really knowing how to say it. Like, Loads. I think we're lucky in our industry where we'll always find people to sit down with and have a really good crack on. There'll always be someone There's who really wants to open up. Or that you really want to talk to, or that you feel that you can let yeah. the floodgates yeah. open and go, 
I think you're ready to actually deal with this. Yeah. And I'm not asking for an outcome. I just I kind of just need to have a chat. Yeah, I just yeah. need someone, like, just need to be listened to. Yeah. And then I also love the fact that you can then, you know, like, the type of people that I am always attracted to are, like, the people who you can have really deep conversations with like that. And then you can just talk about just some something stupid and just have a laugh yeah. and you can go from one it doesn't mean like oh we're having a really deep conversation therefore we can't have a joke or a laugh it just feels like you know somebody once described like emotions to me like an artist's palette right yeah. and they said that most of the time families will only live within certain colors of their palette mm. make complete sense right yeah, absolutely but it's like I want to live in all of the zones of the palette. Like, I want to be able to be angry and sad and happy and joyous. I want to be able to be all of those things with people. And it's like learning that the whole of yourself is acceptable, Mm -hmm. like is lovable, that you don't have to hide certain colours from people. I just like that. I, I love visual kind of examples of things. Do you like visual things? I do. But more wordy. Uh, I, well, I am, kind of, but that's how... That's what, kind of what computes with me. That's kind of what I understand. And yeah. I go, all right, I can learn from that. Yeah, yeah. But I'm constantly learning from other people. But what would you say, like, if you... If, if, you, if someone said, so what, like, colours did your family sort of stay in? <laughs> oh, totally. Mum and dad listen to this. It's all right, they know. <laughs> they northern, they repress everything. They would stay in there. Yeah. Whereas I'm with you, I'll kind of... Yeah, you want to be all the colours. You want to be, be the everything. angry and the love and the... And warmth. if I'm being judged for it, then that's fine. But as long as I, I yeah. know it's coming, f- hopefully, yeah. from the right place. But aren't we all every... Like, when we're born, we're mm. all everything. Absolutely. It just gets knocked out of you, right? Yeah, of course it does. And that, to me, is like... I find that really sad. But you see it all the time. I know. I get sad sometimes if I... Say if I'm in a restaurant or something, I'm just eating by myself, mm-hmm. which I quite like to do quite a lot. I love eating by myself. <laughs> I'm a fast eater. If I'm sort of reading, I'll put my book down and I'll be looking. I like you know, We're constantly looking at people. Mm. I'm looking at people now and figuring out what that relationship is. And then I just see something and I just go, that's made me really sad because mm. I know that there's something there. Yeah. And whatever story that is, I know I've created it, but I'm seeing something that's helped me create it, so yeah. something must be true in that. Are you one of those people that, again, this is a bit of a party thing, the P, ooh, the P word. <laughs> I'm, like, massively sensitive, like, to people's energy. So yeah. if I walk into a room, I will, like, know the person who's angry or the person who's really sad without even talking to them. Absolutely. And I find it really uncomfortable because what I want to do is save them because I'm a bit of a codependent. I want to be like, it'll be all right, don't Mm. worry. But it's none of my business. I don't know them. These are strangers. Or just this, just a general. And I think it was like, obviously growing up and having a lot of feelings suppressed in my house probably meant that I was super sensitive outside of that. And I was picking up on a lot of things because I sort of needed to. Mm. I needed to connect somehow. But now sometimes it's like, God, I wish there was a button that you could just switch off and just be really unsensitive. Insensitive? No. What? Desensitized. Desensitized. <laughs> well, just do what I do and just turn on your heels and remove yourself from the situation. And just, just don't go to the party. Step away from the party. But would you find that, are you the type of person that if, if, there's a, if there's a problem going on somewhere, like, let's say if it was on set, two people were, like, really not getting on, would you be the person to try and sort it out? Uh... I used to be, and it probably sometimes would used to get me into trouble because I would, Mm. yeah, Mm. I would be in there and fight for any sort of injustices. But I would only do that now if it directly affected me or my work. Otherwise, it's it's none of my business, really. So what is behind you fighting for other people's injustice? What what part of you feels like you've not... It's not been justified. Jill, do you know what? If we start this, <laughs> this is why I don't do the podcast. We'd be here for about four hours if I unleashed. That's why I don't do it. But thank you for asking me that question. And I'll tell you off mic, Jill Halfpenny. Thank you very, very much. Thank you. Did you enjoy that? Yeah, thanks. Thanks a lot. It's cool. <laughs> listening.
Um, I don't know if that was an easy listen. I'm sure it wasn't. It certainly wasn't an easy conversation for us to have. But I think it's something that needed to be spoken about. Because uh, at the end of the day, I think we all need to talk a bit more. And Jill certainly did. So a massive, massive thank you to Jill. And um, yeah, again, I hope your ears uh, tuned in after a while. Uh, Griff, the perfectionist that he is, wasn't particularly happy with all the construction that was going on around us. But as you heard, it would have been wrong to uh, up sticks and move location during such a deep conversation. Uh, right, so next week, uh, there's no episode next week. Why, Craig, Why? What, what, what's going on? I'll tell you why. It's uh, the end of the summer holidays and I'm finally free to take my little boy away. So that's what we're doing. We are off to Greece for a week. So uh, keep yourself busy, stay out of trouble, and we'll see you in two weeks. Thank you so much for joining us. Until then, I've been Craig Parkinson. He's been producer Griff, and this has been the Two Shot Podcast. Take care of yourself, all right? The Two Shot Podcast is presented by me, Craig Parkinson, recorded and produced by Thomas Griffin for Splicing Block. Our music, our brilliant music, is courtesy of Then Thickens. Cheers.